0: Peace in a Pod. My name is Indigo Trig Hauger, and I'm a communicator at the Peace Research Institute, Oslo. My job here is to help researchers convey their work. Usually that means talking to the media, politicians, other stakeholders and colleagues. With this podcast, that means talking to you. Today, the Nobel Peace Prize was awarded to the World Food Programme. When announcing the prize, Committee Chairman Berit Reis-Andersen said that With this year's award, the Norwegian Nobel Committee wishes to turn the eyes of the world towards the millions of people who suffer from or face the threat of hunger. I'm speaking with three Prio researchers today to get their immediate thoughts on the prize and its implications. First up, Maria Gabrielsen gembert and Kristin Sandvik. Maria is a research director at Prio and director of the Norwegian Centre for Humanitarian Studies. She researches EU border policy, humanitarian crises, security, and surveillance. Kristin is a research professor at Prio and a professor in the Faculty of Law at the University of Oslo. Much of her work focuses on humanitarian intervention, as well as data and surveillance, and digital bodies. Okay, welcome Maria and Kristin. Thank you for joining me on such short notice. We just heard the news of the Nobel Peace Prize for 2020, going to the World Food Programme. Um, this could be seen as a humanitarian prize. Why is that significant, uh, Maria? Maybe you can tell me about
1: that.
2: Yes, absolutely. It can definitely be seen as a humanitarian prize, as a Nobel Peace Prize for the, not just for the World Food Program, but for the broader humanitarian sector. But uh, before delving further into that, I I also find it interesting how a prize to uh, the world's largest humanitarian organization is also framed very much uh, in the words of uh, the security and insecurity that that food can potentially uh, constitute so the lack of food or lack of food provision uh, is really framed as a as a weapon of war and in that context the world food program is recognized for its efforts to to uh, ensure food security and thereby reducing uh, the proneness to conflict
0: yeah, absolutely. Kristen, how does this fit in with, with your research and the view that you have on, on this as a humanitarian prize?
3: I mean, I, I think I agree that it, it's a humanitarian prize also for the sector. Um, I do think it's, it's problematic to read this as being in praise of the humanitarian enterprise as such. So, you know, this is an industry that's been under fire from donors, communities in crisis, and the media and, and the global public for being ineffective, remote, uh, et cetera, et cetera, for the better part of, of two decades. And, and, you know, we haven't even gotten to the specific politics of food aid. Um, humanitarian sector in general is, is you know, growing enormously. And, and so is what is perceived as an accountability deficit. Um The World Food Programme as as an organization, of course, has has been a part of this and has also struggled with with problems of of corruption, of of food being diverted, and and of getting kind of embroiled in in world politics. Um, I I saw some commentators uh, suggesting that this was you know a criticism of, of the U.S., but but you know this guy, David Beasley, has a, is a Trump nominee um, uh, under uh, under him. You know the Americans are still very enthusiastic about the World Food Program and, and you know giving lots of funding and 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 the last four so since 1992, every executive director of executive director of the World Food Program has been from the U.S. Uh, and 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 historically the organization has been seen as a you know front for for US agricultural interests and foreign policy so, so there is also that which is problematic and and I think that we're going to learn more about in in the next coming days
0: that's very interesting and uh, it's also an interesting perspective because uh, the immediate reaction from much of the media and, and a lot of experts is that this wasn't such a controversial prize. Uh, but it sounds like maybe maybe some controversy will will brew a little bit uh, before we go on to my next question, Maria. Do you have any do you have any thoughts on that on the possible controversy or non controversy?
2: Well, uh, there I, I think indeed it's framed as being not controversial uh, because uh, it's framed as as being the most uh, the most basic thing we all need is food. So talking about food security uh, can also be seen as a way to, in a world otherwise in turmoil and in where there's a crisis of international cooperation, to say now we're going back to the most basic—that's food provision. So I think that's at least how it's uh, being framed now. That doesn't mean that it's not controversial, as Kristin just alluded to. I think there's several reasons to for which it can also be seen as as controversial.
0: Mm. So uh Kristen, I want to ask you. Berit Rice on the said that uh, in her in her uh, reasoning for the prize, she said that food is the best vaccine against chaos. What do you think of that? It's quite a strong statement. So I'm
3: I'm going to leave the 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 question of, of framing to Maria, but but I mean, in in a sense, so this is a very strong human security prize. It's being given in recognition of the importance of of combating the use of food as a weapon of war and and of the existential threat to human life caused by food shortages. Uh, you know, the the struggle, the fight against starvation is, is kind of one of the original humanitarian causes, right? So if you look 150, 200 years back, you know, the... European community, the world community gathered to fight against famines, you know, historically the Irish famine, Norwegians particularly remember the Russian famines. And you know that these are foundational moments in modern humanitarianism. Um, I actually quite strongly disagree with this emphasis on this being not political, right? So. Masturbation has, throughout history, been mischaracterized as a natural phenomena or an unfortunate side effect of conflict and political oppression. Uh, I'm a little afraid that this is what we're doing with the sort of the climate change threat now. Um, Increasingly, at least in academia, there's been a shift uh, towards the, the you know this idea that these incidents don't just happen. This is about politics of abandonment, about military tactics, and also about the rather problematic role of, of relief and development agencies in contributing to hunger. Um, and, and you know, generally, uh, you know, what is hunger and what is starvation and famine is, is also not neutral. So you know, there isn't always agreement among experts or among international agencies on the politics of determining the thresholds of famine. So 15 years ago, there was a huge discussion about whether the food shortages in Niger back in 2005 amounted to famine at all, and, and whether that meant and mattered. Um, I, I think also increasingly the struggle against food shortages has become entangled with you know, questions about uh, data governance and, and surveillance. And and what we can really know about what's going on on the ground, which again, you know, is, is definitely not neutral at all.
0: Yeah, Maria, do you have something to add to that? It's, it, you looked pretty eager
2: to comment. I definitely agree that there's a lot of politics in defining what uh, constitutes a famine, and then and in formulating the the appropriate responses. Of course, I also think it's interesting with this year's price that. Um, that the World Food Programme's aid is is framed as an instrument of peace uh, because of how uh, uh, food uh, security can be manipulated in conflicts. But of course, humanitarian aid itself, as Christine also alluded to, uh, can also be subject to to the warring parties' interest and what they want to to take control over. So so food aid is not neutral in a conflict setting either and can contribute to, to, to changing the dynamics of a conflict itself.
3: Can can I just add something to what Maria said? And and I really would like Maria to say something about this, this notion of vaccine, given that we're in two thousand twenty as well. But but I think it, it's it's important to problematize the peace humanitarian link. You know, we have to remember that humanitarian purposes have also been used to motivate military humanitarian interventions. Right, so, so there is this nexus between the military, uh, you know, and, and the humanitarian, and, and how particularly Western governments have been quite keen to to you know shift their governments in the name of saving women or, or civilian populations. So so it, it's, um, it's not apolitical and it's not unproblematic to create this link between peacemaking and, and humanitarian aid.
2: Uh, yes, so th- uh, it was very interesting to hear uh, how uh, the chairman of the Nobel Committee, Berit Rice Andersen, um, said that uh, that uh, food uh, or food aid is the bec- best vaccine against chaos, and I found that to be uh, an interesting uh, choice of uh, of c- uh, concepts in the in this year where all our attention is turned to the COVID-19 pandemic and of course to to uh, the development of vaccines to to potentially put an end to to the spread of that uh, virus and uh, and just the f- uh, the choice of framing food aid uh, in the terms of of a vaccine was really interesting and here again it's it's back to what we just discussed that that food is a is a vaccine is the remedy against chaos and that is also uh, uh, used when uh, when they um uh, when they, for instance, argue for uh, this year's price by saying that um, that food shortages is also a cause for uh, for refugees fleeing uh, different crises as well. So both of you, of course, are involved with the Norwegian Center
0: for Humanitarian Studies, and PRIO is is a co-host of that center. Um, Kristen I can let you go first, and then Maria. But how do you see this, this prize both fitting in with some of the work that you've been doing, but also um, do you think that this will lead to some kind of renewed interest in, in humanitarian studies as a whole? Uh, Kristen, what are your thoughts?
3: Well, I think that um, the, the center has a very strong profile on, on critical thinking, on technology and, and innovation. And I think uh, the World Food Program is definitely a leader in, in the digital transformation of aid. Um, They've done many, many interesting things. They really kind of uh, revamped the ship, probably more than most other large international organizations. And I I really think that it would be exciting to learn more about, you know, those projects. Um, But this leads me to, to, you know, a frustration that the humanitarian studies field has had over a long period of time. And that's the inaccessibility of this organization. There are very few experts on the organization and that it's in part because the organization has been very unwilling to give access to academics. Um, If you look at UNHCR there is an enormous group of people around UNHCR doing kind of critical but but also friendly engagement with the organization's policies and practices. Uh, I really would hope that this prize could be the point of departure for establishing a similar dialogue around the world work of the World Food Program. Uh,
2: Maria, close us out with your thoughts. Yes, definitely. And just adding uh, to what Kirsten uh, just said, which I entirely agree, and, uh, and looking forward to following up several lines of, of research uh, uh, along these lines. Um, I'm also interested in, uh, in precisely what is defined as a humanitarian crisis and, which, uh, and thereby which actors are defined as having a role and the responsibility to do something and um and with this year's price i think it will be interesting to precisely continue discussions uh, around what constitutes a humanitarian crisis what constitutes a famine uh, how is that defined by the world food program and other international organizations and then what are the politics of uh, of famines which is uh, something we know well from several decades back but, but to look at this with the, with new eyes now also in ongoing conflicts such as in Yemen or in Syria.
0: Thank you both so much for speaking with me. I really appreciate it. And uh, thank you for for clarifying some of the points about this prize. It's been very interesting. Next up, I'm talking to Ida Rudolfsson. She's a doctoral researcher at Prio exploring whether and under what conditions food insecurity increase leads to unrest. Her project focuses on urban Africa. Welcome, Ida. Thank you for joining me on such short notice. Um, I had to frantically start looking for people, but thankfully, uh, at PRIO we have a lot of experts on food, conflict, the link there, and you specifically research food insecurity. Um, so what is the link between food and conflict?
1: First of all, thank you for having me. Um, obviously, I think this is a, <laughs> a very interesting topic. I think the most... Important thing to think about uh, when we discuss the the link between conflict and food is that it goes both ways. So, I focus on how food insecurity leads to conflict, but it's more well established and well known that um, conflict leads to food insecurity. So, it goes both ways and it has um, a circular relationship, which is both linked to uh, and leads to low economic development. So, many of these countries that first see an armed conflict. Uh, see then again an increased uh, food insecurity and hunger, which again then leads to more food, uh, to conflict, and then you have this circular relationship that's very difficult—a conflict trap that it's very uh, difficult to get out of. But I fo- focus mostly on how food insecurity leads to to conflict, so one of the of the pathways, um, so to speak.
0: So I mean, when when we envision a country that's maybe in a famine or yes, is food insecure. Um, you would think that people would be too much too focused on actually eating to then be engaged in conflict, or at least that that's kind of what mm. my gut reaction would be. So how how does food insecurity then sometimes actually lead to conflict? I I, I can see the the other connection quite easily, but your research kind of looks at that
1: yeah. other connection. Mm, yeah. So I think I think that's a very good question. I think one that's one of the misconceptions also that we have that we think that that uh for example food prices uh are increasing which then leads to food insecurity that uh, makes people uh hungry and angry and you have this desperate <laughs> mob of uh, yeah. mad uh people seeking uh, redemption uh, from the state and that's often not the case so so we know that those who are most food insecure are are, are likely not uh, able to to engage in, in in armed conflict. So they are often uh, more concerned in securing livelihood. Right? They don't have the capacity or uh, or um, the network available to do that sort of thing. So. Often the most clear link within my field, at least, is that we see uh, is focusing on food prices. That's what is most um, well known. And it's very uncontroversial uncont- now uh, after the food price spikes in both 2007 and seven and 2010 and two thousand and ten and eleven, to say that food prices um, increase, especially urban unrest. But the, that is not the most uh, Food insecure often who engage in urban unrest. It's often the um, urban middle class who have the ability uh, to to coordinate and to engage in and demand uh, um, change from the government. And also um, that these issues are very uh, interlinked with other socio economic issues. So often it's not the the, the desperation from hunger uh, is the main even the main cause of urban unrest. But but food prices can be a sp- a spike or like the last straw that that um uh, pushes people into to to uh, engaging in urban unrest to uh, address a range of socioeconomic issues so it's very, it's a very complex uh, relationship both in terms of that that the um, the pathway goes both both ways but also that it's inter interlinked with other other socio-economic issues and political issues as well yeah.
0: so yes political issues which you just mentioned i when i spoke to maria and christine earlier they started going into a little bit of why they think the prize um maybe isn't so uncontroversial i mean the immediate reaction online from the media and and from also from some researchers that i talked to briefly they thought okay well this is you know everyone can agree that we all need, we need to eat we all deserve to yep. eat mm-hmm. um but what i'm wondering is is there a military aspect here that could be a little bit controversial. You you mentioned just some of that a little bit briefly here. Mm-hmm. But uh, for example, do people sometimes maybe join military efforts because they don't have enough to eat and they want that guarantee? Or um, I'm just spitballing a little bit here, but yep. can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, so um, uh, 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 yeah, it's a very interesting point And there's a lot a lot to say about that. And um, so for me, at least, I, I agree that it's not a, a very controversial price and that, that in these times with all this things going on in the world, it's it's very good that we focus on the mas- most basic of human needs and, and that that should, should be secured. But I think it's also a political price. So both in, in terms of like signaling that international cooperation is important in a time where you see, for example, states, important states um, in terms of international organizations such as the US then choose to withdraw from the World Health Organization, for example, uh, that they signal um, that this the, uh, international um, cooperation is is important, so I think that's a uh, first part, part. And then, secondly, we think that aid organizations such as the World Food Program, of course, it's imp- they do very important work and and save a lot of lives. But it's also a um, difficult not to to. to uh, it's difficult to be um, completely detached from the political environment within which you you seek to help people right so we know also that when you you go into a conflict area uh, you can see that some rebel groups can um take advantage of uh, aid and use food food distribution as a, a way to 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 change or, or even prolong the conflict for example we uh, biafra i would say is a very well-known case of of um where the conflict got prolonged after aid organisations got involved, many think that the conflict would have ended earlier if nobody had gotten involved. And of course, there's a ethical aspect here. Mm. Like, shouldn't we help when we try? So it's not, it's very easy to say that you should be aware of what what where you get involved and what you do. But um, it, it's. Um, easy to critique that but but i think it's important for international organisations to be aware of the local context where they where they get involved um so yeah and also we know that um in sierra leone for example that that uh, the 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 Sikh, uh that food and economic uh, benefits were were used to recruit soldiers that they needed food and wanted to that you, you that you not necessarily believe in the overall cost of the rebel group, but but the local context and and, and lower opportunity costs um, make you um, join a rebel group to 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 get access to food and and also just a a, a basic income. Yeah.
0: So two years ago here at Prio, um, the director had the World Food Program and David Beasley, the executive director of the mm-hmm. World Food Program, at the top of our list and. A lot of that was because of Yemen uh, and the famine in Yemen, mm. which uh, is one of the biggest humanitarian crises of our time. Um, but now we're maybe seeing it, a renewed interest in this because of coronavirus and the right. concern that um, on top of all of the other, you know, famines and, and food insecurity issues that we see in the world, that now coronavirus is going to exacerbate this. Right. And that was something that on the Shin, uh drew a very clear line to in her... Um, uh, speech so what what do we, what do you expect we're going to see in the coming years when it comes to food insecurity and and the pandemic
1: yeah no uh, no, uh that's um um something i um have been thinking about a lot and uh, i i uh, uh unfortunately i think this topic uh will have enough to do also in the in the years of i yeah, <laughs> when it comes to food insecurity and armed conflict i mean um there was over two hundred, eight hundred, sorry, and eight hundred and twenty million people that were food insecure before the pandemic started, uh, right? So we know that uh, the COVID nineteen is likely to 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 increase food insecurity even further. So this is because they um, they um, disrupt food distribution channels, like transport, for example, right? That you can't get trucks where you want them to, and also the production, basically, of staple food that people can't get to the fields to do what they. Uh, um to to get to work and also labor shortage shortages as well so i think um i i i with this pandemic going on in the same time at the same time i think it's very important and very timely that the the world food program got this price but i i do worry um uh, about the future in terms of just the um spread of uh and depth of food insecurity that will not most likely not improve um in the years ahead so i am um, yeah especially those countries who are already involved in conflicts, such as yemen uh, for example um will probably have a see a prolonged uh, crisis so yeah i i worry <laughs> i think a lot of us worry about the future but um um that is uh especially worrisome i think uh, that food insecurity will probably just spread more as as we as we go ahead so a very bleak, uh, a bleak projection yeah, for me. <laughs>
0: yeah, it is bleak, but I guess that makes the prize all the more important. Right. Yeah. Well, do you have any final thoughts? Anything you, yeah, that's on your mind related to this prize, or anything you'd like to highlight?
1: No, I mean, I think um, it's uh, take ho- <laughs> the take home point. Of course, is that food food insecurity is something that's very um, context specific. So it's only as a, a sp- a certain type of countries that see this right so and also the effect of food prices for example doesn't have that um, grave effect in Norway for example we have channels and political institutions to handle these types of things and so it's usually in countries with low economic development and high levels of unemployment and um, economic inequality where we see these types of things and but also to remember that food insecurity leads to conflict but most importantly that conflict leads to conflict uh, leads to food insecurity so it's a, it's a very, um, um, it's a conflict trap that is very difficult to get out of. Yeah.
0: Thank you, Ida. Thank you. Thanks for picking Prio's Peace in a Pod. This podcast is a production of the Peace Research Institute, in Oslo. Prio, located in Norway. For more information, visit prio.org. Editing, recording, and hosting by me, Indigo Trick Hauger Music by Martin Nenel.